We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD on Twitter. And this is the show where every every weekday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, we talk a little bit about yesterday's slate. We study some top players. We talk a little bit about today's slate. Even though it's NBA, it's a what, a 10-game something slate, 12-game slate. I don't know, it's a big slate. And uh, by, by, by seven o'clock, nothing we say matters. So we'll talk mostly about strategy. Uh, so if you got the questions, if you're in the YouTube chat, you know I like you the most. Hit those thumbs up buttons. Give me the thummy thumbs, right? Keep the apple juice cold. I got, got the normal stuff today. And, uh, and, and we'll answer your questions. I'll scroll back. We'll, we'll talk about some stuff. But as usual, as usual on Mondays, it's Mondays with McCool. James McCool. Paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter, the co-author with me of the theory of daily fantasy sports, a 15 hour audio masterclass of DFS, all the game theory, all the, all, some of the boring math, some of, some of it is boring uh, on uh, how to play DFS, like a, how to think and play DFS, like a professional player, plus to any sport. So go check that out at theoryofdfs.com. So James, uh, last, last week, we talked about how he was sick and tired of playing like 150 entries. So have, have you quit yet? Or are you still going? Because me and Eric talked on the on the Theory of DFS podcast that we do every week on, on my YouTube channel that maybe like maybe five weeks is not a big enough sample size. No, and I agree that it's not a big enough sample size. Um, I have not been able to do it this last week, not because I'm giving up, but because I've been working on developing an optimizer over there for the site. So like all of my extra time is going to that right now, but I plan on getting back onto that horse this week um, because five weeks is not, it's not enough of a sample size for me to like really decide that I'm terrible at MME. But uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I feel like, and this is something that doesn't get talked about enough either, but I feel like taking a break and kind of looking back and reassessing for one or two slates is kind of an important time to refresh and, Maybe, I don't know, get get off whatever tilt you have that's going on. Right. I mean, it's it's perfectly fine. Uh I we you see, you hear it said in like the startup communities, 
right, in the tech entrepreneurial space, that it's better to fail fast than fail slow. So sometimes you get to a point where you're like, you don't, you don't think that this is the best use of your time, that you have a better edge somewhere else. And if you could figure that out quickly and it, and it be true, like that's much better than being stubborn and saying, no, I, I, I need to figure this out for my pride rather than do what's best for my, my wallet. So, so I could perfectly understand if you're like, you know, like based on, based on your current, uh, current workload, your current mindset that, you know, especially an NBA playing hundred, 150 lineups may not be the, the best use of that. Maybe you wait for MLB and maybe then you come back to M NBA. Cause I mean, people think playing that many lineups is just a piece of cake. Like, Oh, how do you, how do you lose doing that? And that's probably the easiest way to lose. Like it's not, it's almost the complete opposite of like, if you don't do that well, you're, you're liable to take, you could have a $10,000 bankroll and be broke in two months. Easily. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it, well, and we talk about it a lot in theory of DFS where having more lineups does not mean having more ROI. Like if you don't build good lineups, then you can't build a lot of good lineups, meaning that you have a lot of dead lineups. And that's why you personally, when you like to enter me, you like to attack those large field tournaments because there are so many dead lineups because people just don't know how to build good lineups. Right. Or they typically the, the two biggest mistakes in large field GPPs when we say dead lineups, because a lot of people refer to dead lineups as, oh, it's people that are playing injured players, right? Lineups that have like, like this guy's never going to sit two, two minutes on the court type of guys. Like those do exist, right? They're still at the bottom. You make it one or 2% of people that you look at the lineup and it's like they left 20,000 on the table and it's a bunch of players because I don't know, they left their dummy lineup in or something or other. But what we talk about dead lineups, dead for first place equity, right? Because that's where all the money is in large field GPPs, right? All the money, 100,000 a first, 40,000 a second, you know, it's up. That's where all the EV is. Every, all the other spots are over time going to be negative EV. So you need to build lineups that have a shot at that first place spot, those top 10 spots. And then what ends up happening is that people, I would say a good 20% of the field builds lineups that are, that they're good line. They're quote, good lineups because they have the best plays in them, right? They have the, oh, they project well. Oh, with, you know, essentially they're cash lineups, but their win equity is virtually nothing. No leverage, no, there's no relative value in their lineups. They're, you know, they're duplicated 18 times. I mean, like, like these are lineups that, have much less of a shot at winning in, in top one of the top spots. So essentially you're removing that equity from their lineups and just it, it just expands on yours. So your riskier lineup actually has a higher EV because you know 20% of the field or more are playing safe lineups that they don't view as dead, right? If that lineup ends up getting uh, 400th place and they get three X they're like, Oh, okay. I'm getting there. Yep. And in there, it's reinforcing the fact of, Oh, if, if only these guys scored a little bit more points and this guy went off, I would have, would have, and then you see four years later that it's like, how come I've never top 10 in any GPP yet? It seems like, like I get some lineups up there. It's like, well, 
No, those, those, you're actually playing dead lineups. You're playing negative EV lineups. Even at lineups that it's like, well, I, I, listen, I listen to Stevie on the morning grind, right? Stephen will talk about the slate. Then Dean and Grant on Grinders Live, I, I listen to them. And then Meansy and Tuttle and Roth, they're on their crunch time. I listen to them. I read the Noto's grind down, right? I read the expert survey, right? Some of the premium stuff here on Roto Grinders. You can get uh, $10 off by clicking on the link. $10 off your first month. Click on the link in the description. You read all the stuff, but, and go like, well, I'm, I'm playing all the players that they say to play. Like, yeah, those are the chalkiest players. I mean, like that there's, I think we could all agree on that. I could look at the projections and see the same exact thing. So like, we're all talking about, like, these are the best plays, but just putting together eight of the best plays or nine of the best plays in your lineup doesn't make it good for a hundred thousand person contest. It does like that's not the best lot that that isn't the best lineup. Those are the best players. Now, once you understand that, like, okay, here are the best plays. How do I take a mix of the best plays and leverage off a couple of the other ones to build now a lineup that is contrarian to some extent? That's that's where the first place equity comes from, but. What decision do you, if, oh, that I could play one, uh, six of these eight guys, five of these eight players, and then three kind of contrarian that leverage off of something else. Well, which ones are they? Well, whichever ones you want. As long as you, as long as you understand like what the chalk construction is, then you could figure out the best strategy to like, I can make a lineup like this that has first place equity. I have a lineup like this. And you could, you could come up with a thousand different ways of making those types of lineups. So the usefulness of the content, in my opinion, if you're not even looking at projections, is to figure out what, what the lay of the land of the entire slate is and go, well, if I'm playing cash games, then yeah, you're probably playing, you're probably playing eight players that were mentioned in the content that everyone's talking about as good plays that you'll go into lineup HQ, they all project well. Like that's, yeah, because you need to a double up. You don't have to win first in a double up, right? Triple up, you don't have to win first in a triple up. Even in a if you're playing a hundred, hundred and hundred man contest, like you could pro practically play a cash lineup in those types of contests. But if you're playing large field stuff, you know, people go to, go to our lineup HQ and go, I'm not going to change anything. Give me five lineups. And they throw it into the $15 fadeaway, the excellent eights. And it's like, thank you for your donation. It's like, but those are the five best lineups according to the projections. Yeah, they're the best median lineups. The best median, median, the middle lineups. It's like in order to win, you have to, you have to, you have to take on some risk. So that's that's what we mean by dead lineups. If you're playing lineups like that into large field contests, you're donating. But I min cash some. Who cares? You're never going to min cash often enough over a long period of time where you're going to show a profit. It's going to feel like you win, right? It's going to feel. Oh, okay. I played fifty dollars worth of lineups, and I got uh, I got I got sixty two. I made twelve dollars. The next light you lose, you know. I put in sixty and got thirty five. Okay, bad day. And you and you constantly go up and down like that. You go up and down like that. And next thing you know, four years later, you're down like three thousand dollars. And you're like, why haven't I gotten first place yet? Well, that's the reason why. So 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 James, I mean, the reason why when you're building one hundred fifty lineups that you have massive swings is because your goal isn't to min cash. Your, your goal is to get lineups that come in the top spots. So you're building lineups that 
are either going to be up there or they're going to be way down there. And then the more and more you have lineups that are way down there, uh, you're putting in a thousand bucks and you're getting like 200 back. And yeah. that's happening like every slate. And then you hopefully have to bink like once every two months in order to like, like be, get your head above water. And that's what makes MME play. If you're building at that level, so difficult. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly difficult and it's incredibly difficult. Like I, I, I try to tell people that um, when, when they're trying to build, I, I want to speak a little bit to the idea of cash game lineups in GPPs because a lot of people do it. A lot of people do it, especially in single entry and three max stuff. Um, you'll see a lot of cash game lineups and you'll see a lot of the, the quote unquote best plays. And it's really not hard to gain leverage and gain relative points over the field in those kinds of contests. Build a cash lineup and pivot at two spots. And like that, that's already better than just putting in like an optimal lineup. And, and like you said, you don't even really have to know exactly who to pivot off of. Like if somebody is really, really popular, you can probably pivot off of them depending on what their projections are. Like you don't pivot off of Jalen Brunson when he projects for 11 X, but like you can pivot off somebody else. And that way you can still have Jalen Brunson projecting for 11 X. And then you can have another guy who's 5% owned. That's a pivot off of the guy who's 40% owned and you can gain all that leverage on the field there. So it's really, really easy to just kind of make those leverage plays. But regarding the MME stuff, like when you are trying to do that on a large scale, that's what you have to do across a large portfolio of lineups. You have to say, okay, well, here are the best plays, but you need to be able to interject into all of those plays, guys who are actually going to give you relative value and leverage over the rest of the field. Um, And you can't just like lock in a leverage play. In, into your 150 lineups. I mean, because, I mean, you can. It's just now you're putting all your risk in, in right, right, that it, one person. And if you decide to, if you decide to do that, that's perfectly fine. Just understand that if that guy does well, a lot of your lineups are going to do well. If that guy does badly, a lot of your lineups are going to be at the bottom. So like, it just takes it, there's no more. correct answer. I just want to highlight there's no correct answer there. But from a responsible, just like the stock market, right? You can invest in one stock, and just if it goes to the moon, then great. But I mean. If you want, if you're looking at a long-term view, you probably want to diversify. Right, exactly, and that's that's the point here is volatility. You can lock in that one leverage play, like you can lock in the five percent on guy that is a direct pivot off of the seventy-five percent on guy, and just if it works, then yeah, your lineups just like Dogecoin, man, going straight to the moon, just straight to the moon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's all about volatility. And when I am building out my 50 lineups, what I'm trying to do most of the time is put together a portfolio of lineups that are going to eat a lot of the chalk, but then have two pivots elsewhere of guys that I think represent a lot of leverage. A really good example of that yesterday was going with Dwight Howard instead of Tony Bradley. Um, and it was a really, really simple thing to do, especially on DraftKings. They're both center center position. There's other value on the slate. You can eat in better spots. And I, all you had to do was just pivot one away from Tony Bradley, who was something like 70% owned, down to Dwight Howard, who was 30% owned. And that's already relative leverage over about probably 25, 30% of the field because a lot of people played both. But making those decisions across a whole bunch of lineups, that's what's going to give you actual win equity over time how long it takes to realize that win equity. I, I don't know, man, it's random. Like variance is random and you, you need to continue to make those decisions so that you can take advantage of the randomness when it does swing your way. 
right? Your, your goal is to put yourself in the opportunity to benefit from that randomness, mm-hmm. right? Build lineups that have a shot at the top end, give you enough relative value to get up there. And then it, if, if Joe Harris is the one that has the big game, then great, you win first. And if it turns out that, that it's Bruce Brown and you have Joe Harris, then you come in 80th. And it's just, it's whatever it is at that point. So people are like, you don't have to, you're never going to be able to aim directly for first place. Like there's no, unless you have a crystal ball, you're never going to do that. But you have to build lineups that you look at and go, this has enough projection and enough leverage for this contest size that this lineup has, if it does well, has a shot at a top 50, a top 10, rather than look at a lineup and go, well, most of these players, other people have also. So like if they do well, like how do I how do I get above those entries? That's what relative value is. That's what leverage is. So when people are just jamming in the best plays, like that's you have to play players that they're less likely to succeed. Yes, we could agree on it. We could look compare two players and go, do I play Kyrie without Harden or do I play Westbrook? And you go, well, Kyrie easily, right? Like just from an objective standpoint projects better in that spot against the Wizards than Westbrook against against the Nets. But if you just said, well, Westbrook is going to outscore Kyrie maybe 40% of the time, right? It's not going to be, you know, it's, it's not going to be six to one that Kyrie outscores Westbrook. But if the ownership reflects that, then that's a place to get leverage and go, okay, I'm going to build the same lineup I would. I'm going to play Durant. I play Durant, I play Westbrook. And then instead of playing, instead of playing uh, uh, Bradley, I play Howard, right? You find, and you see that now the ownership of your lineup starts coming down. Now, you, now if every point that Westbrook scores above Kyrie, you gain so much more off, off of the Kyrie lineups. Kyrie's 50% owned and Westbrook's 20% owned. That 30% spread between the ownership, you're, 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 you're going to the moon. To the Every moon. point that it's above, right? <laughs> I keep on saying going to the moon. The rocket ship emoji, right? That's all. That's all I see. Rocket ship emojis and going to the moon. I, I, I got, I got my Vanguard funds. I'm fine. We're, we're all day traders now, Jordan. Jordan. No, not me. We're all day traders. And we're all trading gifs. Like that's, that's all the Twitter <laughs> is anymore. Um, I, I do want to point out really quick that yes, when you have less ownership, it is easier to pass a lot of the field, but. You you don't want to have so little ownership. Usually, you you want to be able to lower your risk factor a little bit, especially in NBA, um, in sports like MLB where you have a lot of events happening, or like NHL. I guess you could say NHL as well. Um, you can take on a lot of volatility because things are much harder to predict and project. But in NBA, I, I do just want to point out that there is kind of a balance that you need to have about as much ownership as you have. Um, having a whole bunch of guys that are only 2% owned does not necessarily mean that you have a great life. It does not necessarily mean that you have a lineup with a lot of equity. Uh, it just means you have a lot of guys that are 2% owned. Now, if all of those guys, like your projection system is the best in the universe and all of those guys project like God, then cool. Yeah, have all those guys at 2% owned. But I, I like the likelihood of that, in, especially at NBA. Oh, it's you're, so you're well. Just, you're not going gonna to find that. Like, like you're ne- you're never you're rarely ever never I I, I don't want to say never because like we never, never say never here but right we never say never 
if, if you have, if you, have, if you're best, if you look and you go like the, all oh, the best plays, the best plays, these four guys, they're the best plays and they're all 2% owned. Like then they're not, then you're just, you're not, you're not good at identifying it because the field isn't that inefficient. Right. It may be the type of thing where, well, you project someone two points higher than someone else. And you know, they, they're, they're going to be 12% owned when you think they should be 22% owned. So like, like that type of spread you could see, but you're not going to find like, Oh, like the lock of all locks is 2%. Like, no, that, that, that doesn't exist. That, especially in NBA where the models are so close to one another that you're not going to get the field like that baseball, maybe right. Baseball there, there, there's, especially in large slates, you may have situations where, you know, you really, the, the guy that's 5% owned really should be the guy that's 20% owned. And may, maybe, maybe that happens, but, uh, I talk about diversity. We talk about diversification a lot because uh, unless you're playing just one lineup in just one contest, like the choices you make in additional in digital contests uh, reflect your, your portfolio. Like we we're talking about the stock market, right? Right. We're talking about go to the moon, right? The rocket ship emojis that diversification comes after strategy. So in talking about uh, like exposures, like you can play, like if, if the, in the case of like, instead of playing Kyrie, I played Westbrook, right? But it doesn't mean you fade Westbrook in all your lineups. It just means that in that one lineup, the strategy is you're betting on the outcome that instead of Bradley, Howard succeeds and instead of Kyrie, Westbrook succeeds. But in the next lineup, it could be that instead of playing now, instead of playing Kyrie, you play Beal, right? Instead of playing Durant, you play, who was a power forward yesterday? I forgot. Someone. They, they, they were all bad. So. They were all bad, right? But you play one of those guys and end up losing. Right? I mean, yeah. like, so each lineup has its own strategy. And then you're playing 20 of them. The exposures represent your diversification of your portfolio. So you could decide, like we said before, you're like, I'm going to... Can you lock in a 5% owned guy into 150 lineups? Yeah, I mean, you can. That's perfectly fine. Just understand that your diversification is going to be very low, which means your swings are going to be much bigger if you play like that from day to day. If you play with a much more diversified strategy, that you diversify your strategies, your swings aren't going to be as big. You get some equity in that in the meat of the of the contests that if you put in a thousand dollars, you're less likely to just get a hundred back. You're putting in a thousand and getting six hundred back. You're putting in a thousand, getting seven hundred back versus like all or nothing. These types of swings. Uh, at the end of the day, you're sacrifice. You're probably sacrificing EV in order to do that. You're sacrificing ROI from a very large sample. And when we're talking about large, we're talking about like twenty lifetimes types of samples that you'll never get to. You're sacrificing EV there to reduce your variance. You reduce your risk of ruin. So uh, when it comes to people asking like, well, how many line, if I'm playing 20 lineups, how many lineups should I have this guy in or that guy? And it's like, well, it's just a byproduct of the strategy of each lineup. And then you have to do your risk management. You have to decide your diversification. Some slates, I'm, much more risky than others, right? Sometimes my diversification is low. Sometimes I look and 
and small uh, small forward sucks today. And uh, there's a choice between these four cheap small forwards. They all suck, but I need a small cheap forward in most of my in most of my lineups. Uh, sometimes I say I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little of each of them. Sometimes I say screw it, I'm just gonna play the one of them and just hope that's the guy. Neither is correct. Neither is wrong. Just a matter of how much how much risk am I willing to take today versus tomorrow. Tomorrow I may, I may spread it out some more. Sometimes I look and I go uh, that there's four pay up options. One guy is going to be chalky. The other three aren't. It's like, well, am I going to? I could play out of the other three. I could play one in one lineup, one in the other lineup, one in the other line. I could do that, or I could just say, now I'm going to make a lot of lineups with that. Just just one of them. And make as many combinations of that. And like, if that's the right guy, I have a lot of shots at first place. It depends on the day. And there's no correct answer. It just depends on how much risk. I look at the strategies between the three approaches and I go, what's the delta between in my head of which is better that I want to pursue? And the, the, the wider it gets away where it's like, well, if I play this guy, then I probably have to play that guy. And these lineups look very similar to other people's lineups. I'd rather do this and then just do this to the extreme. But then on the next slate, I can have 40 players, 50 players in my player pool. And I'm now I'm building some diverse set of lineups that no, I have no one more exposed than 40%. Then on some slates, I've, I've, I've locked in three guys. So like looking, looking specifically at exposures, like all you're doing is looking at diversification of, of strategies not strategy in and of itself. So I always want to harp on the fact that, that like judging your play by exposures, well, I was 80% on a guy and they failed. Was that wrong? Like, well, if it made sense in your construction, then that's, it doesn't have to be wrong. Should I have played this guy instead? And should I have 40% of this guy? And for, well, in hindsight, you should have, but the construction still would have been the same. You just happen to choose... Uh, you chose Cam Johnson and I chose Cam Reddish and you know, my cam worked out and your cam didn't, but they were both projected fairly close. They both owned the fairly the same thing. We both had a similar construction. So to me, you didn't do anything wrong. You just decided to go all in on this one guy. And I went all in on the other guy and got lucky, I guess. And then at that point, at that point, it's just luck. They both project similarly, right? Yeah. And I think that's a really, really important thing to say. Uh, when people project similarly, choosing one or the other is not wrong. Like you can be really mad at yourself over one V ones or two V twos. I've been there, man. I get it. And, and I think that a lot of people get mad at themselves for choosing player a over player B yesterday, choosing Kyrie over Westbrook or, or something like that. If they, if they project the same, uh, yesterday I had Kyrie and Kevin Durant projected nearly similarly. I if think, I think some people yesterday on FanDuel, I think the 1v1 was uh, D'Lo versus Sexton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a lot of I mean, we had, we, had, we had Russell three points higher than Sexton, but I know some other places may have had them a little bit yeah. closer. Yeah, so something like that. Those guys, it's a 1v1 of near similar projection, and one does significantly better than the other one, and everybody kicks themselves and says, ah, oh, I should have chose the other one. And then what they do is they'll go back and they'll readjust their process to look for reasons to choose the other guy over the one that they chose. And that in itself is a bad habit. Because if you're making results-based decisions 
on things like that, where you just lost a 1v1, you're not actually improving your process. Unless you missed something that was significant. I like, I, I can't even think of something like with a, with a projection system, if two guys are projected nearly the same, then it's already taking in everything that you need to take in. You didn't miss anything by choosing one guy over the other one. You just got unlucky. And that's what so much of this game is when it comes to 1v1s and 2v2s. The thing that you can control is roster construction. Like, I tried to tell people not to play Tony Bradley and Dwight Howard yesterday at, in the same lineup. I really tried because it eats into itself. Like, what one of those guys, Dwight Howard or Tony Bradley, one of those guys is probably going to have a good game with no Embiid there. Probably. Not a guarantee, but probably going to have a good game. But both of them playing 20 plus minutes and both of them being over one fantasy point per minute and both of them getting there. I, I thought that was a bad roster construction. And that was something that I looked back at and said, okay, cool. So I got that one, right. But if, if I was wrong on that, then I would need to go back and say, okay, well, why should I have played those guys together? Cause they projected the same, but it was a roster construction thing. So I care a lot more about roster construction things and a, lo- a lot more about those choices, the macro choices than I do about the 1v1s or the 2v2s. When, when people ask me about a 1v1 or a 2v2, it's just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> you can choose whatever one you want to choose. If they project similarly, then... Flip a coin. Yeah, what, whatever you got to do, man. But right, it, that's play whatever is... you want. I mean, that is that is what that means. It, it It's not me trying to be sarcastic or facetious. Two guys project well at similar ownership. It's like, just close your eyes. Pick whatever name you want. I mean, like mathematically they're equivalent so i I usually say pick the one that fits your lineup the best right that's that's usually what i try to say but that but that's what play whatever you want me that's that's exactly what it means the decision and to spend the time on those types of decisions is like if the decision is 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 this close that's how much time you should be spending on it that much which is nothing basically just pick like close your eyes pick one and move on Right. And that's it. Spend your time on the decisions that matter more. And a lot of times uh, the decisions of what contests to play matter more with the lineups that you're building anyway. So like, I know we're, it's February 1st and I know I'm trying, I'm, I'm the, I'm I'm the most transparent, right? I always show my, 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 my cash game tracker right here. We had a, let's see what's got, what happened over the weekend since the last show. So pretty much, yeah, kind of, Broke even over the course of the weekend. So, but still up, right? 8,300 according to this spreadsheet. So, so you could, you could get this tracker.theoryofdfs.com. This is, this is exactly my cash play. So like fully transparent, but I uploaded everything this morning to uh, to Roto Tracker. So I know that January is a, just an arbitrary period, right? Like the months, it doesn't matter what I, how you measure stuff like that, but we talk in terms of months. So I just wanted to show. So over the course of this is January for me. So $18,188. January. That's a pretty good January, right? That's for my goals that this is, this is, this is a good month. But if you see here, it's, it's highlighted by spikes. Like we, we go by just cash play. And this includes multiple sports. Cause I play soccer. There's some NFL. Obviously we had over the weekend, some playoff NFL in here, but it's mostly basketball. But if we compare, for instance, we go to, let's say, head-to-heads, right? We just look at the chart for head-to-heads. You could see this, okay? 
not much jaggedness. I mean, this is within, I mean, we're talking about $1,143. So it goes up, it goes down, it goes a little much more stable. Then comparing it to GPPs. Like this is what a GPP graph should look like, right? Right, go down, 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 big spike. Down, 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 big spike. So you can see here, like I was down, look, in GPP, and this is mostly, I'll, I'll just I'll just show like NBA, for instance, because what this one big spike is soccer. So if I just do NBA, now, now we get this. So I lost almost $1,600 to start the month, then boop, up to 31.35, then down to like 26, 27, then boop, up to 10,900. Go down from 10,900, got up to 11,005, and now I'm down to 62.28. So over the span of what, two weeks, two and a half weeks or so, the 13th, 11.5 to 62. I mean, 11.5 to 62. About five grand. Yeah, about five, about, yeah, about $5,300 in a two and a half. This is, and remember, I'm just playing five lineups in single entry, three max GPPs. And these are still swings that happen, right? Of course, I'm playing, you know, I'm playing the 250. I'm playing, you know, a little bit higher stakes. But that's the reason why you play cash games, right? Now, this is with including cash games. So you still see the dip but it's a little bit smoother, right? Because I'm winning a little here, a little there, like cash games, it's going up. So I'm able to maintain a bankroll a little bit easier. Like I'm not gonna get rich off the cash games. I know that. The reason I play the cash games is because can I get a decent enough return that this will cover a bunch of my GPP losses so that I survive to get some of those big spikes and all the losses kind of like the cash games cover those. So over the course of the season, my law, GPP losses and my cash games negate each other, right? So if I don't have any big spikes, I end up like breaking even on the season. And then all the big spikes are just all my profit. Now, some people don't choose to do that. Some people choose to play heavy on cash games and like that, they're gonna try to grind out and they're gonna play th 10 times the volume that I do. And then just that equals a lot more raw money but then don't really spend much in, in GPPs. Mm -hmm. Some people do the opposite. I don't, don't play any cash games whatsoever and just GPPs and just YOLO ride with the variance, which is perfectly fine, which at that day, right? That's what you do. Okay. Which is perfectly fine. But you have, but you have to understand that, that it's, that it's, you're not going to have as smooth. Like my downswings don't look that bad because well, I'm, you know, when I'm, when I'm playing 3000, in cash games and 500 to 700 in GPPs. Like if I lose everything in GPPs on a day, like I could cover that with just the today's cash. I mean, I end up profiting on the day even a lot of times. So I just wanted to show like, this is Roto Tracker, by the way, rototracker.com. So if you want to use this, uh, RG used to have an analyzer that uh, similar. I mean, this is a little bit more, has a little bit more features than uh, RG's analyzer used to have. But it's a similar thing. You upload your CSV, your entries, your your contest entry history from all this, all any site, all the sites, Yahoo. I mean, I could even you could sort it out by like I could go to the co cohort. So this is last month. So for all the sports that I played, 
separate by site. So about 13,000 on DraftKings, 5,000 on FanDuel, and lost 158. Then you go by sport. So the last month, right? NFL, yeah, the playoffs. I mean, I was just playing GPP, so $645 loss. But soccer, 9,400, and NBA, 9,400. Even go by category. You can see here, like my double up and head-to-head ROI this past month was only like 4%, right? But that's normal. Like that's that's not like bad or anything. That's okay, 4% churned ROI and GPP, obviously, pretty good. Good month, 14,800. You can even look at the size of the contest, the fee, right? One of the things that I like doing is looking at, if I'm gonna go to like uh, double ups, for instance, and go by fee. So you can see here that actually, I mean, this this is what you should look look, look at. This is what you should see. Look at my ROI in the slower stakes double ups versus the higher stakes double ups. Now these one to three dollar double ups are all on FanDuel because I can't play the I can't play three dollar stuff on DraftKings. But you can see the difference in ROI, but in the difference in real money is higher in the higher stakes. Of course, I didn't play that many 56 to 109s like over here, but still like, yeah, I'm, I'm losing money in the $50 range for double ups versus the lower the lower stake stuff. But a lot of this is FanDuel. It'd be, I mean, if we take a look at the cash bankroll tracker as it is, I'm down 823 bucks on DraftKings cash as it is. So that that's expected. Because on FanDuel, I'm less, I'm not, I'm not playing $50. Like the $50 double ups that you see in this cohort analysis are all on DraftKings, right? Because let's say we separated that that. These are just double ups. So we're gonna go by site. So we go by site on DraftKings, right? I mean, you're gonna see a lot of red. So I'm down on DraftKings cash. But then if we go to FanDuel, right, we see up. But still, even in the few contests that I'm playing the 12 to $27 range, I'm actually in the red. $1, 20%, 19%, 17%, 14%. So even in the span of a month, this kind of shows that the lower stakes games that are, don't have the restricted players that can't play them are going to be softer. Like it's just, it's, it's inevitable. I wish I could play them on DraftKings. I can't, but I can play them on FanDuel. So I play as, I try to fill my volume with as many one, $2 games as I can, even though it takes me all day to click through or go through, I'm playing 400 contests. But that's, that's what should be worth it. And this is why when it comes to diversification, I have to play, like even on FanDuel, I have to play contests that are above one or $2 in order to get the volume threshold that I'm looking to get for my bankroll. So if I wanna play $1,500 worth of cash game volume on FanDuel, I can't get it all in one or $2. I have to get it in fives and tens and 25s because there aren't as many one $2 contests to get that much. But if you're at a level, like on DraftKings, I have to start at the $5 range in order to get, you know, like the 50s, I put in last, right? I go, the $50 double ups are my last, my, like, well, based on my, my I'm going to be playing $2,800 or so today based on my current cash game bankroll. 
Well, how do I get to the 2,800? I have to allocate that between FanDuel, DraftKings, and Yahoo. And then inside of each site, I have to, what contests in there do I have to do? Well, I don't want to fill up, and even on DraftKings, the $50 contest first. I want to see how many $5 ones, the large field, 124 mans, the 62 mans, the 23 mans, I saved till the end, right? Till five minutes before lock. And there's some people just trying to jam themselves in. Who knows? My opponents are going to be weaker. So like all of that, to me, there's more work involved. That time, the, the time you're spending on that 1v1 or the 2v2 would be better spent on contest selection than just choosing between two fairly similar equal types of things. I'm showing you, this is why I spend the time. This is why I do the cash game. This is why I'm showing you what diversification does. When yesterday on DraftKings, I mean, I, I only lost 1% on DraftKings. I won 60% on FanDuel, won 74% on Yahoo. It came out to a total for the entire day, a little under $1,000. If you were just like all in on DraftKings, you would have just, you would have lost a little bit. And the only reason I lost only $17 or so on DraftKings is because I I was diversified. Imagine if I took the whole 1290 and I played like six $109, you know, head to heads and lost them all. Well, then you're done. Like, this is, a, this is a product of the diversification. I'm playing 150 different types of contests, right? So it's even in GPP, you could look that way. Even in cash game and everything. Diversification, if you're playing seriously, obviously if you're playing recreationally, YOLO, feel free, play whatever contest you want. Have fun. Don't let me stop your fun. But if you're playing seriously to make a return, if you're trying... If you're trying to beat out a return that you could get in Vanguard ETFs, or right? As, or no, no, Doge, no, Dogecoin. You're playing large field GPPs, like <laughs> Dogecoin. If you're if you're investing in Dogecoin, you you ain't doing contest selection. This this is <laughs> this, that's way that no, no, you're not doing this. But this this is the this is this is the the DFS equivalent of of mutual funds of of, of investing on the stock market into you know. Instead of picking individual stocks, I'm gonna it'll be an ETF. Maybe an industry level ETF. Maybe you're in, you know, whatever. You want to spread out your risk enough that yes, you're sacrificing some upside. But I'd rather have a, a decent return that minimizes my risk than you know increase my ROI by two or three percentage points with the possibility that I have a, you know a, a fifty thousand dollar losing month. It's like, no, I don't want to have that. I'm looking, I'm, to me, I look at, uh, an, to me, an $8,000, an $18,000 month, that's a good month. That's a good, I, I compare it to, uh, this is, what can I buy with that? That, that? It's a good month. How can I pay my bills with that? That's a good month. So yeah, I came in, I had a 10K win in soccer. I had an 8K win in basketball. I had a 5K win in basketball also, and positive ROI a little bit in, in cash games. And then we start the then we start the next arbitrary period in February, uh, but diversification, whether it be in your lineups, in your lineup portfolio, like we talked about with MME, and as well as in your contest selection, is your friend. If 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 you're, you're going to spend time, if you're going to spend twenty minutes trying to decide between, uh, 
Colin Sexton and D'Angelo Russell, I guarantee you it's gonna it's gonna your 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 ROI is gonna be impacted more by spending that time on contest selection dynamics than trying to find some you know advanced stat or some stat muse in the last three games on Wednesdays. D'Angelo Russell put up you know like something to, to something to, to like confirm your bias. It's much better to just focus on, uh, well, let me make sure I'm in the right contest. Let me make sure my macro strategy is sound and the micro stuff doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, the micro stuff, uh, it's it's not that important to focus on. And when you are looking through all of your contests and you are looking through, we we've made a lot of comparisons towards the top, towards the stock market in this because it's topical. And I think that it's funny, but it really is both the stock market and DFS. They're long-term gains. You're not doing either one to make all of this money right now. Like the, you're, you're not doing it as a get rich quick scheme. You're not doing that. And I, I do get more questions than I wish that I would about, well, I need to make money. Like who should I pick if I, if I need to make money? It's like you should not be playing DFS if you, if you need to make money. Go get a um, job. Go get a part-time job. Yeah, you should. Uh, you should be like a courier or something. I I don't know, man. Go make an OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> there's like there's a lot of other ways that you can probably make money faster. But if you are dedicated to DFS and you like stick to a process that you develop and curate over time, um, I I do believe you can be a winning player. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of proof out there of people who have sat down and dedicated themselves to learning the best way that they put together lineups. Cause there's no, there's no one, one size fits all when it comes to building good lineups. There's a lot of different ways to interpret data. There's a lot of different ways to go through and build your lineups. And it's not wrong that you want to look at this stat or that stat or another stat. So long as you are building lineups that are competitive, um, over time, Jordan has been mentioning like the, the month of January and the month of February and stuff like that. It is good to have periods of time to look at, to kind of understand how you are doing and try to take a look at the variance you've been exhibiting and try to take a look at the things that maybe have been going your way or not going your way. Hell, Jordan, th- this is a good month, right? For, for $18,000 up. A great month. I love it. This is great. That's, that's awesome. February, you might be $8,000 down. That's correct. (laughs) But as long as you stick to the process, it doesn't matter because you, what you are trying to do is over the course of the year, support your lifestyle because that's your goal. Other people's goals might be different. Other people's goals. you, You could just be playing for fun. Like you said, recreationally, you could just be playing to go from being a losing player to being a break even player. And that's cool too. Like that's totally fine. Um, the, I, I think that, we talked a little bit about strategy earlier and then diversification following strategy strategy comes after you've developed your goals. And that comes from understanding what you want to be, what you want out of DFS. If you truly want to make money playing DFS, then you have to truly dedicate to playing DFS to make money. And that comes over a longer term sample. It doesn't come over picking D'Angelo Russell over Colin Sexton and making $50,000. That's not how it works. So over the course of a year, I, I always tell people that if if you want to just start trying to take things seriously, there are some pretty good pieces of reading out there, Theory of DFS. 
Uh, and there is also a pretty decent strategy of trying to supplement your GPP play with your cash games and diversifying based on your cash game lineups. That there are ways to kind of get started and start curating your process. And there are a lot of people that are willing to help you find it. Right. And there's also, I mean, your goals could be somewhere in between. Like we have a lot of people in our Roto Grinders Discord, which is a premium feature. I'm in there all the time. So sign up for premium, hit the link in the description, $10 off your first month. That there, there's uh, what I would call, uh, I would say, serious casuals, which it, it's it's kind of weird to say. Very good players that they they already have all the money they need. They they're not playing for the money; they're playing for the the intellectual challenge, and they already have like if 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 there there are people in 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 our chat that are already worth more than seven figures. Like nor like in their normal lives, like they it through what they they've already made that they own or they own a big house and you know that and they enjoy this is what they it's like go instead of instead of going golfing, I'm gonna play DFS instead of you know that type of thing. So like eking out an extra two percent ROI, who cares? They're looking to take down a big GPP, not because they want to make a hundred thousand dollars to bink a GPP, it's because that's that's the goal. That's you know, I'm, I'm able to take yeah. my discretionary income into my little retirement fund or something like that, and I'm gonna play a hundred dollars a night, and I'm looking to go for gold. And if I lose the hundred, so be it. But but they still want to play well, so they're still gonna look at their rotor tracker and look at stuff like that. But whether or not they squeak out, you know you know, some five figures off the cost of it. Like, it's not, it's just going back into their, it, it's in just another investment to them. So like, it doesn't matter as much as opposed to me, where this matters a lot. This is, this is what I do. This is, I, this $18,000 represents money that, you know, I will, I will pay my bills with, right? That I will invest in, in, in that I will use to invest in actual stocks, <laughs> right? That, that aren't, aren't fake. Uh, and and make a mortgage payment and, and you know things like that. So like I have to, I have to treat it as like if eighteen. This is a great. This sixteen percent ROI in a month. Great, but I know that it's going to go up and down. I know this cash bankroll tracker is going to go up and down, and I'm just looking what's my net at the end of a season. And I go. I invested twenty thousand dollars, and right now, if I just stopped right now, I got a forty two percent return on my money in six weeks i i can't i can't do that in the stock market so like like to me that's it's it's free money so why not do so but that's but that's my goals but that to me that's if you're playing dfs professionally so that's where that's where i'm coming from the term professional is used there's no such such thing just like in poker as long as you have money you could play so there's so who's a pro poker player and who's not a pro poker player doesn't matter. You could play as long as you have ten thousand dollars. You can be in the World Series of Poker. Does that make you a pro? No. Have someone that's never been in the World Series of Poker, but you know grinds out uh, uh, you know online games from you know Lagos where it's legal or something, and 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 makes and makes and, and you never heard of them. That to me, that's a professional, right? Someone that grinds out in, in live games and private games, and you never heard of them either. Like they're, I mean, like. So what does that necessarily mean in DFS? It means whatever it means to you. Do you want to be a professional? Who cares? 
I'm just looking to, I'm me, I'm looking to make money. If it, if it did, if this, if this, if DFS didn't make me money, I wouldn't be playing. Right. It just, and it's, I'm not playing for fun to me. Fun is making money. So like if I couldn't do it, I wouldn't be doing it. So, but what is your goal? What, 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 what are, what are these charts should, well, how much risk should you be taking on? Well, that only you can answer it. That's why it's very tough, James. When people ask me, well, what do you do? Right. They'll say, well, what contest are you, do you play? What players are you playing? What lineups are you playing? It's like, well, we're not the same. We're not the same, right? My contests are going to be different from your contest. My lineups will be different from your lineups. Your goals are different from my goals and my risk tolerance is different. I tend to have a very low risk tolerance when it comes to my bankroll. I have a high risk tolerance when it comes to GPP lineups, but you know, to actually play the contests. But I mean, people sometimes ask, tell me, it's like, you should be paying, you should, I, I should be playing higher stakes. I should be, I should be, I would be making more money. And I don't, I don't doubt that. Just can can I live with $50,000 swings in the course of a month? Based on my goals, I can't. So I'm going to sacrifice that ROI in order to minimize my risk. And if I'm leaving money on the table, then I guess I'm leaving money on the table, but I'm happy. So that's all that matters. So when people, when you, when you ask, like, what do you do? What should I do? Like, well, what can you handle? What are your goals? Some people can't, some people can't even handle $50 swings. Some people can't handle, I can't believe I got a 1v1 right, wrong, or, you know, like that type of stuff. Probably should, you shouldn't be scaling up your play if, if that's affecting you so much. So like, imagine that times a hundred, like you're liable to, to not, not only go broke, but also go crazy in the process. It's hard. It, it's there. There's a lot of mental aspects of DFS that are much harder to grasp than I think that people are willing to admit. Um, even for casual players and people who want to be better. Um, but it is part of the game that you play, and it's part of the reason why the best are the best. And there's a reason why you, as a professional DFS player, are are able to make a living doing it. And it's because you have a good mental idea of what you can actually handle and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish and and what you can lose in the process as well. Right. Um, it's it's just one of those things that I I try to explain to people that uh, if you are not how, how should I place this? If you are not trying to win, then you won't. I, I think it's like, and and people, when, when they build lineups, there, there are a lot of people that are trying to build good lineups, but they're not trying to win. Does that make sense? Like, does that make any sense to you? Right, well, I, I think it's more for the fact of it's, it, so you can just, it, it's a psychological thing. So you can justify, it's, it's it's very similar to middle management. I view I view middle management. I hate I hate corporate work, right? So just middle managers are the worst out of them all because they will make decisions that allow them to justify their choices to their superiors. Mm-hmm. So I know that if I have to hire these two people, right? One of them is some hot whiz kid, whatever, but doesn't have like a, a doesn't come from a good college, right? Didn't even go to college, right? And then we have this person with like, okay, they went to Princeton and whatever, but it's like, 
They have an experience, but I don't. I think the other person is better. They're going to hire the one with the Princeton degree and everything like that. So they could just, so when it goes wrong, they could justify like, well, what else was I supposed to do than hire the guy that went to Princeton and has, has the resume to back it up. Even though you know in the back of your head that it was probably better to get the whiz kid that maybe it doesn't work out, maybe, but if it does work out, it takes your company to the next level. Yeah. But it's easier to justify. So when you play a lineup that is like, oh, I like my lineup. This is a good lineup. This has the best plays. It's like if something goes wrong, if uh, 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 Colin Sexton gets, you know, gets injured and is now, you know, out for 10 minutes of the, oh, what was I supposed to do? Like, no, he was the best player. And it just, oh, it's not my fault, right? Oh, DeMar DeRozan, uh, seven points. What happened there? Not my fault. He projected well. I could justify my decision. But if you pick a guy where it's 2% owned, and he, and he ends up putting up a snowflake eight points. Well, how do you justify that to yourself, right? So you look at the lineup and go, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the one that that after the slate is over, going, how how am I so stupid to play Alex Len, right? You play like the you know those type of guys, and you go, well, every every once in a blue moon that'll work out. But if you're not willing to make those types of choices, it doesn't have to be Alex Len, but those types of choices. You're not, you're, you're rarely ever going to put yourself in the opportunity to win first place. So you have to have, even if you're not like, you're not sharing your lineup with other people, right? A lot of times this comes into not wanting to be embarrassed by other people. I don't want to make these lines because then someone will look at my lineups and be embarrassed. Why did you take this guy? Right? That type of thing. I'm talking about if you're just doing it by yourself. You don't want to look after the slate and go, I'm such an idiot for playing this guy. He was only 1% owned and like, but that's how you, that's how you should be playing. Like that that style, that the mentality should be if he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. You knew it was going to be lower probability. It's most likely not going to work out. But if it does, you have a shot at first place. So you should be looking at that selection, that Alex Len, and go, yeah, it didn't work out today. But if it did, I would have, I would have won first and then move on to the next day and go, where can I find that leverage again? And just over and over and over and over again. Hopefully not, you're not just doing Alex Len, right? Hopefully hopefully it's not just, <laughs> I'm going to play Alex Len. I'm going to play Boban, right? There's some people like it's, yeah, Kleber's out or some some type of front court, Porzingis is out. It's like, I think it's a Boban day. I think it's, it's a Boban a, day. It's always a Boban day though. That's never a Boban day. I don't want to see guy. <laughs> well, we got some good people in, in chat. I see here, Alex Santi is in there talking about it, right? He played poker. He gets it. The same, it's the same type of thing in poker, same type of thing in, in any in any investment, in any game investment type of environment. But uh, we talk a lot about this in the theory of daily fantasy sports. 15-hour audio masterclass. It's the entire game theory of DFS. So it's like having me and James in your pocket. If you've learned anything this episode on Mondays, because Mondays we do these kind of like macro type episodes because it was a four-game slate yesterday and... Uh, their point in going over it and then today's slate is who knows how many games we have look at how many games and Giannis will sit who knows what's going to happen today right so what's the point in that so uh so if you if you enjoy these types of conversations these types of topics this is get 15 hours of it of everything in the theory of daily fantasy sports so theoryofdfs.com uh go pick that up there uh james 
uh, paydirt underscore DFS, right? Yep, paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. Uh, and then all of my content can be found over at paydirt.ghost.io. Uh, almost done with the NBA optimizer. We're still working through the beta form of it. But once I figure out how to add groups into that dude, uh, it's going to be all done. So that's pretty exciting and adding optimizers to every other sport and just getting ready for uh, for the grind of MLB whenever that starts up, when they figure out if they want to allow people to be on second base in overtime or whatever. So yeah, you can, you can find all my stuff over there. And um, I've got another couple of projects coming up that I'll, I'll uh, let people know about in the next couple of months too. Right. And and obviously follow you on Twitter for, for your next uh, pump and dump. Absolutely. Well, I mean, Dogecoin to the moon forever. Just hold it. Isn't it's, that a fake? Isn't it a fake parody? It's it's a meme, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it has no. I mean, it literally has no. I mean, it has no nothing. No, yeah, you you literally can't even buy anything with it. Um, so it's pretty hilarious. But to the moon. But you'll buy it though. Uh, well, no, I I will make money on it, but I won't buy it. So how are you making money on it? By selling. <laughs> uh, so, so that's but that's the, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. Right. Oh, it has no. It has absolutely no value. I'm just going to buy it low and hope I'm lower than me buys it higher. Exactly. I'm not a stock market guy. Okay. I just right, like we're the, not financial advisors. We no, this is not right. financial advice. But Dogecoin to the moon. So anyway, we'll continue. My GPP lineups to the moon. That's what I want. Yeah. There you go. My there GPP go. lineups to the moon. So uh, so until tomorrow, I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender at Blender HD on Twitter, and we'll see you tomorrow for another edition of the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com.